So he gives us the prophecy and the parables to let us have a peek behind the veil so we will have greater faith in what we're about. What is the lesson about God? God wants you to succeed. He wants you to know that you're on the winning team. Even though he has us walk in faith, he lets us look behind the veil a little bit. Let me tell you why, let me tell you why that's difficult. And it came into focus this year as I was raising my teenage kids and talking to them. I realized that most of my raising of my children, after they get past the, get into the teenage years, is convincing them to listen to me because if they'll follow what I tell them, their life will be better off right now, ten years from now. Most all the advice I'm giving them today is contrary to what the world is telling them, and I'm trying to convince them to listen to me because if you'll invest your life the way I'm telling you, you're going to be better off ten years from now. And I'm talking to a teenager with hormones running amok, and I'm talking to him about purity, and the world is screaming, get satisfaction. And I'm saying, no, son, purity in the long run is of value and has distinctiveness and pleases God. I am telling him to trust me because later on it is better. And I want to tell you, that's some tricky salesmanship going on in there. <laughs> Teaching them about purity and studying and self-discipline and denying themselves. Had a great example with my son. I talked to him about debt and learning his life. And he told me the other day that he had got himself a credit card and had tasted the wonderfulness of debt. And he said, I now remember everything you told me. And I said, yes, before you knew it. And now, son, you understand it. <laughs> and we're trying to convince our children of things to come. Guys, listen to me. We're all teenagers before God because that's what He's trying to do with us. Do you understand that? God's ways, He knows He's trying to tell you to bet your life on the future. Bet on heaven. Bet on eternity. It is a good deal, He's saying. Gamble your life today. Invest it today because there is a big pony out there. He wants us to succeed in like me yelling at my children. It's a good deal. Listen to me. Don't, don't burn your life up. Invest it properly, and the benefits come. That that is what God is yelling to you and me. The truth is that God does want us to succeed. That is His way. He desires that. He wants us to have an insight into eternity that we may know where we're going. The application is that we must train our focus to an eternal perspective. We must align and motivate our life where there are no pockets of our life with other perspectives. No other view than the eternal. If I view my kids with other than the eternal, or my wife, or my house, or my parents, or my dress, or my health, or my looks, or my career, or my education, or my money, or my auto, or my yard, if I view anything outside the eternal, then I suggest to you that's wrong and you ought to move away from it. Two years ago in 1988, they had a book that said, 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 88. Now, I'll go with all the humor that in 89, it was 89 reasons and so forth. But this was really a book, and everybody got excited, and my neighbor said to me, no, not my neighbor, a friend of mine said, you know, if that was really true, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't paint my house this year. <laughs> and let me suggest to you that his attitude was wrong. 
If you cannot see the glory of God in painting your house, then don't paint your house. If you can't see the glory of God in mowing the lawn, don't mow your lawn. If you can't see the reality of a relationship to God, to His glory, to your edification, to your joy in serving Him, don't do it. Don't have pockets that are outside your eternal perspective. Because, listen, if you have temporal perspectives mixed with eternal perspectives, the temporal will always win. That's a true statement. If your life shares both temporal and eternal perspectives, the temporal will win. The flesh guys will beat you to the ground. As that woman told me one time, gravity is winning. <laughs> what is the truth about the parables? What do we learn about God? What we learned about God in the parables is that He is a God that wants us to win. And He's letting us look from behind and He's saying, guys, it's a good deal. It's a pearl of great price. Go sell everything and come. It's a treasure worth giving your life to. It's something worth investing in because if you take the talents I've given you and, and multiply them, I'll give you cities to run. I have rewards for you. I want it to be a winning deal for you. Get your perspective off of the temporal and begin to look to the eternal. And we must begin to focus accordingly. Second, that, that's, excuse me, that is on the Fourth point. I would like to look back now across all of those traits of God, and that's only four traits of God. And let me say to you that out of those four come our three great motivations. One, because of the love of what God did for us, we too will serve God. What Jesus did on the cross motivates me to serve God. Two, fear of God. And fear is a valid motivational concept in our relationship to God. What's the first way? Give, give Love of God. What, 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 what God did for me. What's the overall category? The overall category, number three, B, C, D, E, is the, the motivation. As we observe these four traits of God, they tell us of the motivational strategy of God. We are to be motivated because of the, because of the love of God, what He did for us. Two, because of the fear of God. And three, because of the rewards of God. Guys, God's traits should influence our view of life. How ought we to live? If that is poison, should I drink it? If it's cold, should I go out naked? If it's hot, should I wear a coat? If that's true about God, that He cares about me, that He is in control and has my best interest, that He's given me enough time to live my life to completion and fulfillment, if it's true about him that he died on the cross for me and was resurrected from the dead, if it's true about me that he wants me to see behind that I may have the motivation to live my life to completeness, then how ought I to live? Or do I say, boy, that is a great lesson. I'm going to go down and get some chow. How then ought you to live? We've studied now why we should know the ways of God. We've talked about how to know the ways of God. And we've talked about five traits, I mean four traits of the ways of God. Next I want to speak to you, I'm going to take a five minute break, stand up break. Then I want to talk to you about the things that interest God. Alright? Notice the three prophets talking in the back room. <clears throat> we had uh, recently had a discussion in an, uh, 
Atlanta on Prophet. And I used to call Walter Prophet, and it was called my attention. I beg your pardon? Did somebody honk? Did you honk, Lynn? Oh, louder, can you? I'm sorry. Is the speaker on? Is, there, is this a microphone also? Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, we were discussing uh, the traits of a prophet. And the traits of a prophet, as you study back over through Deuteronomy and, and look at the illustration of the guys, is each one had a message from God. Each one took that message to God. Each one had the capacity to see in the future. And... Uh, and they made the people mad was the fourth trait. <laughs> in Walt's case, we decided that he was three out of four, that uh, he, did, he couldn't see into the future, but that he didn't make everybody mad. <laughs> now, this is just the beginning of a journey on knowing the ways of God. Guys, there's no way I have even been remotely exhaustive in this discussion. I've invited you into the arena of beginning to observe your Savior, Jesus, and look at His life. Quit taking it superficially. Quit looking at the miracles and say, oh, look, He walked on the water. What is He doing? What is He trying to communicate to you about the reality of God? He lived so that you would know God. You have an incredible opportunity to look into the mind of God, to be like Isaiah in the court of God. Don't turn that down. I beg you not to turn that down. Now, behind that journey, though, is response. And we must respond to the reality we have learned. Why do we know the ways of God? Because it's important for us in our journey of intimacy. We will not make the journey without it. How do we do it? Contriteness, communication, response. What are the traits of God? Well, we talked about four of them. And now I'd like to talk about what is important to God. And I'm going to go back to Jesus again to look at that. Now, a chapter in the Bible I have spent a lot of time on my life, and I'm going to go very quickly. I've got 25 minutes. I have 22 minutes. I'm just going to go across the top of it. I would like for you to spend time in the next years on this. And that's the 17th chapter of John. In the 17th chapter of John, it's the high priestly prayer. It was mentioned like by Bob last night. Ford made mention of it. You rarely see a guy talking about Jesus that he won't dip in to the 17th chapter of John and talk about it. Why? The 17th chapter of John is two or three things. One, it is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus anywhere in the Bible. Two, it is audienced by his men. And you don't see that very often. Three, it's on the summation of the upper room discourse and the lower valley discourse. It basically is the capping, the topping to his ministry. He tops it off here. Summary of the Upper Room Discourse and the Lower Valley Discourse. Big part? John 13, 14, 15, 16. It's a great studies. I mean, those are great studies, and they're called the Upper Room Discourse, and I call the last one the Lower Valley Discourse. What is the Lower Valley? When he goes to the Kidron Valley, he says, there's an olive tree. All right? It is a... In, a, an intimate look at Jesus talking to God. An unusual look at Jesus talking to God. Um, and I'm going to take you on one journey across that chapter, and only one journey. And that journey is 
Jesus' report card. Jesus says, I have, I have done, I have done these things. And he mentions five things that he does. Five, TJ. Five things that he has done that he knows would be pleasing to God. All right? He did this to report back to God, you sent me, I have, and I'm giving it back to you. And he did it also, why? I'm convinced that he wanted to hear his men hear what was important in his relationship to God. I'm convinced of that. He says, guys, you're going to get to hear me report back to God. I always thought numerous times about the report card concept. I remember how much fun it was always to give my report card to my dad. I can imagine coming to God and handing him the report card, and he looks at him and says, Gail, incredible grades. Wrong subjects, but great grades. <laughs> and this is Jesus' report card where he comes back and said, I got great grades, God, and here are the things you sent me to do, and I'm bringing them back to you. I have, I have. And that's what we're looking for in the Scripture, those things he's talked about. Now, the first one is in John 17, 4. And he says, I have glorified you while on the earth. Now, let me just talk about some principles and truths surrounding that. Needless to say, that the first thing he mentions on his report card back to God is, I have glorified you. It is the prima ficia focus. It is the strategical mission of his life. And guys, he's telling his men, it's got to be the strategical mission of your life. It's the objective of our existence. It's the first focus of our thinking. When I'm out making a sales call, Jack, it is to glorify God. When I'm installing a construction installation, it's to glorify God. I do everything as unto the Lord. glorify God. When I'm installing a construction installation, it's to glorify God. I do everything as unto the Lord. And all Jesus reported back to is first things up, I glorified you, God. I want you to know that was my focus as I mowed the lawn, as I walked along the path, as I turned the water into wine, as I lived my life. God, I know I failed, but I wanted to glorify you. I have glorified you. The first report card we're going to have is, did we glorify God? Now, what these are is the things that occur when he glorified them and where it's, where it's mentioned. I won't go into all of this talk because I don't have the time nor I want to take it through you. I basically want to get you started on it. What is important to God? Prime. Head headlines. Banner issue. We're here to glorify God, guys. That's why we're here. The second thing he noted in 17.4 was that he had finished the work he had sent him. I have finished the work you have sent me to do. He reported back, you gave me a purpose, God, and I have fulfilled that purpose. What were the purposes of his life? And I just noted some things here. But the point I want to get across to you is that he told his guys, I had a purpose, and I finished that purpose. And you know what he's saying to everyone out in this room? You have a purpose in your life. You're not some cosmic error that's drifting around. Not only are you saved, but you have a reason for your existence. God has a purpose for you. Jesus told his men they had a purpose. 
Study the great men of the Bible, and they all had a sense of purpose. Paul had a sense of purpose. God has a purpose for you. We should know our purpose. We should help others know their purpose and do their purpose. Where are you in your journey in that area? Have you thought about your purpose as an individual or in your family or your job or your fellowship with other men? And let me say to you, I can tell you what your purpose is. And your purpose is to evangelize and to edify. That's what it's going to sum down to. And that's going to glorify God. Everything in your life has got to be an E squared. Evangelize, edify. Somehow it's got to come to that meaning to glorify God. But how does it play out with you as an individual? You have a certain learning skill. TJ has another one. I have a certain job opportunity. John has another one. Walt has another one. Ford went to Russia. It's not where we are, but what we're doing where we are when we're there. And do you sense in your life that I'm here to glorify God and I have a purpose in my life and I'm aware of that and I'm about doing it, but not only am I about doing it, but I'm out helping others do their purpose and find their purpose. Jesus took time on his report card to note to his men that he had purpose and he had fulfilled his purpose. What was important to God? This was important to God that Jesus had fulfilled these issues. And if it was important for Jesus to report back to God that he'd done these two things, guys, can you imagine that it just might be important to you? John 17, 6, 12, and 26. He makes three mentions that I have manifested your name, I have kept them in your name, I have declared to them your name. Once again, this, is a, this really deserves a lot of interesting discussion about what he means by name and what Jesus is trying to get there. But what, let's just take it a first cut through. The name represents what when he talks about God? His character, his being. Who he is. God's way, God's being, and God's character. That's what the name means. That's what it represents. And Jesus said that he had been about doing those three things with me. I manifested his name. I showed who you were. I kept them in your name. I protected them with your name. And thirdly, I have declared to them your name, who that is. Now these references in John, which I won't go into, are references on where Jesus deals with the name of God in the book of John. What can we conclude from that? This is an important concept of God, and that is His name, and the three things He did with it. First, I would suggest to you, the greatest thing you may do for others is to know God. The greatest thing you can do for your wife is to be a man of God. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to be a man of God. The greatest thing you can do with your life is have an intimate, close relationship with God. Thus, you may manifest His name, keep them in His name, and declare to them His name. The greatest thing you can do for anybody is to know God. Live out your life in a commitment to God, not in an attempt to emulate traits. Do not pursue 
being holy or to trying to look holy. Pursue the Holy One. The issue is the relationship to God, not the product. God will give you the product. So we'll get books on how to so we can look like and that isn't the objective. We missed it. We totally missed it. The issue is relationship to God and becoming intimate with who He is and the character of who He is. Matthew 5.16 brings that to focus. Matthew 5.16 TJ, let your light so shine before men that they may see TJ's good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. John, let your life so shine before your light so shine before men that they may say, John, see John's good works, but give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your life so shine before men that they can see, boy, Jack is a great guy. Look at who God is and see through him to a relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is reporting back. I've lived my life in such a way that they have seen who I am and they've seen through to me to the reality of God. I have manifested your name. I have kept them in your name. I have declared to them your name. The thing that comes to me is that as an application in my life is pray for the spiritual safety of others. Now guys, I pray a lot that Walt Henderson doesn't get killed in an airplane accident because he travels so much. I pray for Ford Madison on his travels around the country that he will not be injured and that he'll keep his health. I pray for a lot of you, but I begin to realize that I do not think enough or pray enough for your spiritual safety. Your spiritual safety. Jesus said, I kept them in your name. In the 17th chapter of John, he makes a big deal about keeping them in the name, protecting them. And I'd suggest that what we need to be praying for our family is not on safety, good grades, great reputation and no hurt, but we ought to be praying for their spiritual safety. And the fourth application is know God and to speak of him with your mouth and your life. This was a big deal to Jesus. Three times he mentioned what he did with God's name. Do you even understand and relate to God's name? Do you deal with God at the level of his character? Do you understand that issue? Because Jesus thought it was so important that he noted it on his report card that I have manifested your name, I have kept them in your name, and I have declared to them your name. And that was the third point on his report card. The fourth one. Numbered number four. Seventeen nine. I have sanctified myself. Did I say five traits? I think there's four. <laughs> I can't find my fifth one here. Oh yes, where is that fifth one? Huh, guys, I have lost one here. Hmm. Okay. No, that's not it. Just a second here. I'll talk about the last one. Now here's here's one right. Here's here we are, guys. Somehow I got these things up. I've lost one. Did you take a trait? Did you take the first? Give me just a second, guys. Let me see here. Glorify them. Yeah, here we are. I'm sorry. Here we go. Fourth one, I have given him your word. And he makes three mentions of the fact that he gave them the word. Now Jesus has done, he's reported three things that are important to him. I've glorified you, I knew my purpose and did it, and I've kept, I have used your name, and now I've given them your word. 
And these are the comments on his word that I would look at. Now, the product of giving the word to them, notice, is that they know Jesus is from God, that Jesus' joy is fulfilled in them, and the world has hated them. Now, those are the three products that Jesus noted came out of him giving the word. So, I want to tell you, here's how you test how well you're getting the word into your life. How uh, did you know that Jesus came from God? Are you joyful, and does the world hate you? And we'll just do a little test around the room on how everybody's going with the word. But those are the three things that Jesus said was a product of the, of the relationship to the Word. There's five ways you can get the Word into your life. It's the old navigator uh, uh, little homily that you can get the Word into your life by hearing it, by reading it, by studying it, by memorizing it, or by meditating it. Hearing it is the worst, or not the worst, it is the weakest way to get the Word. Why? You only retain about 15% of it. You'll retain 10 to 15% of what you hear. Reading it, you retain about 20 to 25%. But they're like your little two fingers are the weakest of your fingers. You can also then study it. And study gets your retention up higher. But still, it's not the greatest. Where memorization is the complete keeping of the Word. I mean, um, you can memorize it, and, and theoretically, you get 100% in there. But the way you break the Word active is when you meditate on it and pull it into your life and apply it. Where are you with the Word of God? We've already talked about it. The issue is, no matter who you are, what is your temperament and how has God made you and how are you going to use that in the best way to get the Word into your life? And that's the issue, to get it into your life and to apply it. The fifth one Jesus talked about was that He sanctified Himself. 1719, I've sanctified myself. Sanctification is an event... Excuse me. Sanctification means to be set apart. It's an event, not just a process. You're sanctified by the Word. You become a model. Jesus, I mean, Jesus was sanctified to be a model. And you're guided by the Holy Spirit in that sanctification process. The product is that we may be sanctified. That's why Jesus was sanctified. Now, guys, what it is, it's the creation of a mindset in your life. John, Matthew 6.33 talks about setting your mind on the things above. Colossians 3, 2 talks about setting your affections on God. Hebrews 6, 18 talks about setting your hopes on God's promises. Hebrews 12, 1 talks about running the race with endurance that is set before you. Understanding the race that is set before you. Hebrews 12, 2 talks about focus on the joy set before us. Where is your mind and your attention and your motivation set? Because that mindset is the key to your sanctification. Five things God thought was important. Five things Jesus noted on his report card. One, God, he glorified God. Two, he completed his mission. He did what he was told to do. He manifested, he kept them, and he declared God's name. Three, four, he gave them the word. And five, he was about sanctifying himself in the process of change. Now guys, that was important to God. You now have a new understanding. It is important to know God's ways. You know how to start about the process of knowing God's ways. You know four traits of God, which is the key to your motivation in life, out of Jesus' life. And fourth, you know five things that are important to God. These are important to God. You will not be fooled when you go to God and God said, Oh, by the way, did you give other people a word? Oh, I didn't know you wanted me to do that. If you had only told me, I would have done that. 
you know it's important to God that we spread the word, that we make his name known, and that we sanctify ourselves. Knowing the ways of God is a lifetime journey. It is imperative because without the intimacy and the relationship, we will eventually reject God. God wants us to have the relationship. It's not a hidden involvement. He desires your kinmanship. He desires your love. He desires your friendship. He sent His Son to the earth to die so that you may have it. And all is laid before us today is just your desire to want to have it back. I encourage you in 1991 to take this seriously for two or three reasons, guys. One, it will deeply alter your life. Two, it will affect your family and people around you in incredible ways. And three, guys, Jesus is coming back soon. It ain't far off. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you let us get to know who you are. Oh, dear God, I uh, pray that the inadequacy of my words will be overcome by the Holy Spirit and then touch these men's hearts in a unique and powerful way. Pray for anonymity, God, and that they will hear you and the Holy Spirit and that they will be really focused on you. Thank you for our time together. Be safe, be with them as they go down the hill. Bless their lives, God, and challenge them to a new depth of relationship with you. Amen. What? Romans. Come on, come on. Can I put this back up there and I want to write out the rest of it and I'll bring it down to you. I'll skip lunch if necessary. Oh, but I'll get sure, sure.